want you to think of two contrasts. Think of the experience that we just had now singing songs to our God. We were, we were encouraged to receive and understand God's love, his mercy, his goodness to us. We were exhorted to lead our lives in a certain way. There wasn't, there wasn't yelling or screaming. There was some shouting, but it was a different kind of shouting. We were called to shout, but shout a message of good news. The gospel's called good news. Maybe as you sang, all the poor and powerless, you didn't feel like you were the one, as you sang, that was content this morning, but the one who was hurting. You were encouraged to give your hurts to a gracious God and King. Now compare that with what we've experienced the last two years. Anger. Everybody's angry. If you're for the mask or against the mask, you're angry about the other side. I mean, you can't avoid it. It's not like one side's, I'm all happy-go-lucky, and the other side's angry. They're both angry, and they're angry at one another. You can't avoid it. If you have the unfortunate responsibility of watching any cable news, the ethos you will get after 30 minutes or so is anger. They're angry. They're angry. Everyone is angry. So you come to the sixth commandment, you're like, well, this is an easy one. This is great. I can get all the anger I want. I just can't, like, pull out a knife or something. Can't swing at them. Well, wouldn't it be that easy? What a short little verse. Poor Mark had to read our Old Testament reading, four words. But then when Jesus talks about the sixth commandment, he doesn't start or even end with the fists. He goes right to the heart. So if you really want to understand the Sixth Commandment, understand that it's commanding us not to be angry. So I want to warn you before we start, you are in arguably one of the most angry moments of United States history. And you've got to navigate that under the command of the Sixth Commandment. So we need to pray from the start. Let's pray. Father, help us to heed your word, and not just to understand it with our minds, but to reach for it with our hearts, and even, Lord, by the power of your spirit and the support of the family of God, our brothers and sisters, to live it with our lives. Forgive us for being like the world around us, especially over the last two years, for being angry and for ways that we'd maybe never even thought about breaking your specific command in the Sixth Commandment. Help us to understand it rightly this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's start with the most basic understanding. Number one, the Sixth Commandment forbids the taking of human life. That, 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 that's pretty clear from the surface. From the beginning, God's word defines human life as sacred because all people are made in the image of God. You mess with a person, you mess with God. 
And in essence, we could even say this. If the first commandment is prohibiting the making of any images, the sixth commandment is prohibiting the assaulting of God's images. Well, this is where we get to the four-word verse 13 in Exodus 20. You shall not murder. The Hebrew word translated as murder is probably a bit more general than the mental impression we get when we hear the word murder. It can refer to intentional killing, hence the act of a murderer, but it can also refer to any unintentional killing or death, something done by accident, meaning something done when we're not intending to kill. Any action that would not take seriously and tread carefully with human life. So you can see how the English word murder might be too specific. You could even say you shall not kill. But again, that gets a little tricky. What do you do with war? It's complex. It's not as simple. You can see why Christian brothers and sisters over the years have wrestled with such verses. It more generally, the Hebrew word more generally refers to the killing of a person. It doesn't necessarily, only context will know how it is to be defined. It could be purposeful, it could be accidental. In essence, it means take seriously every human life. Now, Scripture is aware of this nuance of that word and treats different kinds of killings differently. Let me give you a couple examples. What about regarding animals? Scripture requires the care for animals, yet it never specifically prohibits killing animals for food. In fact, it assumes it. What about execution, capital punishment? God does authorize civil rulers to use the sword, but even then we need to think biblically about the death penalty. How about war? God allowed war in some circumstances, but if you're giving kind of a biblical theology of war, you would probably have to say this, that there were very clear and obvious restrictions God gave every time for war. So so here's the point of that. A lot of times we're talking about these things without feeling the weight of the authority of God over human life. The Bible insists that we kill only if God permits. So when does he permit? We're good in our tradition in recent years of fighting for the life of the unborn. But God's word would extend not just from birth, but all the way to death. You can see why there's arguments for something like just war theory, which in a moment like this, when Ukraine is being pummeled, something in you gets maybe righteously angry and thinks the only way to stop a bully is to use a little bit of force. You can also see why, based upon this commandment and the words that I gave you in the seriousness of every human life, that there have been many Christians over the centuries that have been pacifists. They just didn't think, unless God said, you may kill that person, that they had the right to do that. That just didn't belong to their domain. 
That wasn't their authority. Most simply assume the secular state would make the call in such things. But what about the church? Or just more generally, what is God's will regarding the taking of human life? We agree with this for the unborn, but what about those who are already born? Maybe one category that would help us give some biblical wisdom toward this is not just what's allowable, but what's advisable. Death penalty might be a good example of that. You might be able to argue that the death penalty is allowable based upon Scripture, but is it always advisable? Is the DNA evidence clear? Is there corruption in the judicial system that could warrant in any way a lack of justice? So you might agree it's allowable, but not think it's advisable. Now you're at least balancing some of the mystery of God's justice and being very careful with his will. But brothers and sisters, just speaking into our context, we have lost a level of wisdom when it comes to the sacredness of human life. Again, I think we truncate that down just to the unborn. But we are living in an extremely war-hungry and violent culture. It's in the air we breathe. Let me give you an example from that, that's at least kind of spans my own growing up years. There's a, there's a, a well-known actor. I don't know if he's ever won any awards for acting. But you'll know his name. His name is Sylvester Stallone. They never asked him to be in like Pride and Prejudice in movies like that, did they? He was in a show, a movie called Rambo. From 1982 to 2019, I don't even know how many there were. There are at least five, if not six. But an article came out recently showing how from 1982 to 2019, Rambo becomes a wonderful litmus test of the increase in violence in our culture. The first movie is called Rambo First Blood. Sounds gentle and non-PG. Had only one actual death. One killing. The whole movie had one actual death. And literally at the end, Rambo explains it away and says, he drew first blood. He drew first blood. Hence the title of the movie. Rambo 1, 1982, one killing. By the time you get to Rambo 3, 115. By the time you get to Rambo 4, 254 deaths. In a two-hour movie, and I don't know what it was, that would on average average over two deaths per minute. Now imagine that for the 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old children watching those films. Just an onslaught of death. I actually was shocked when I was, when we lived in the UK. In the UK, they were way more open with films that would show skin and, and adult intimacy and way more prohibitive against violence. So you could have skin and intimacy viewed on regular TV and there would be no rating or blocking of that simply because in their argument, that was more natural to life where over here, we'd be freaking out. 
Yet they would not allow Rambo, First Blood Part 4, to be shown on their TVs, and we would have our junior hires watching it. And their argument, the church over there would say, which one is more natural to life? Human intimacy or taking 2.5 people out per minute? But we've never even thought, I mean, that might not be, I'd never, I mean, I'm 28 years old, 27 years old, first time I ever even thought about that. So I would go over to a buddy's house at 13, 14 and watch Rambo. What did that do to my mind? And that's just Rambo. You ever heard of a guy named Arnold Schwarzenegger? SWAT team movies, military movies. How many of those have we watched? Tons. So just before we even properly approach this commandment and, the, and, and feel like, well, listen, I'm, all, hey, I'm pro-life. Are you? What does pro-life even mean? It really means you take serious the sixth commandment. And if you take serious the sixth commandment, let me be honest with you, it is way more than just a legal issue regarding the unborn. It is about taking all of human life very seriously. Well, let's, let's probe a little bit further. Secondly, the sixth commandment demands, here, here's where we understand it positively. The sixth commandment demands that Christians take seriously the root of murder. This is where Jesus takes it. In his sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, we get God's perspective on the application of many of the Ten Commandments. I mean, to be honest with you, what a wonderful thing would be is when we're reading through the Ten Commandments, you just go to the Sermon on the Mount, and now you actually get the best preacher on this series, Jesus Christ, who's explaining what it looks like. And I don't think any place does he do that more clearly, in, in my understanding, than what he does there in Matthew 5, 21 to 26. Look at the text with me that Mark already read for us. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Jesus loves to do that, by the way. He takes something like what we're trying to do here. I'm totally just copywriting Jesus. Like, you've heard it says don't murder, but what it's really ultimately getting at is Jesus would take all those commands that the Pharisees and religious leaders thought that they easily applied to themselves, and he would show them an EKG of what it's really pointing to. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, here's God's application of the sixth commandment. How easy was sermon prep this week? But I say to you that everyone who is angry, if we just stop right there, we need to say, Lord, have mercy. Like, just stop right there before you get, well, let's define angry. Everyone who is angry. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So God is taking all the seriousness of the command you shall not murder, and saying it applies not just to the end result, but to the initial seed in the heart, the roots. 
It's at the roots. My uncle lives in a house in Belvedere that's well over 100 years old. In fact, there was a little tree right outside the front door that was planted right around the year he was born. And I won't tell you his age, but that tree is way up there now, which he likes to talk about, climbing on when he was 10, but it was a little shorter then. Oh, just recently, he had some, uh, a, another tree that had been close to the house that had grown, had been cut down many, many years ago, but what he didn't realize is that the roots continue to grow. So the tree was cut down, but the roots continued to grow. So all of a sudden, he gets a water bill. He hadn't been down in his old cellar basement, I guess, for quite some time. A water bill that's 15 to 20 times what it normally is goes downstairs to find that he's got 10 inches of water in his basement because those roots had eaten away and broken through the pipes and the water had flown right into his house. You think you cut down the tree of what you see, but ultimately the roots were still doing a whole ton of damage. How merciful is Jesus? He doesn't just point to what we can see. He goes to the roots. Jesus goes to the root of murder, which he claims is anger. And then he applies it at all levels. That's why in the title for the sermon, I don't say, hey, no killing. Hey, good job. You didn't kill anybody this week? Well done. No, I translate or interpret the commandment as being, hey, no anger. And now that, you may have very disciplined fists. You might be able to, at least in public, muzzle the mouth. But God's going right past that with an MRI, CAT scan, looking right into your heart. And say, you see that anger? I'm talking about that too. Because those roots, if left untreated, will break you open and flood you. Jesus does not forbid anger in total. If we're looking at scripture, because that might be the question, wait a second, we can never be angry? Wasn't Jesus angry? Oh, he was. Righteous outrage is real, and Jesus demonstrates that in the temple, but that was never some kind of prideful, hateful, kind of vengeance-seeking hate and anger. That was disgust. That was the pursuit of justice. We can hardly be said to be able to balance that well. What Jesus commands are, at least in Matthew 5, are a set of practices that seek to diffuse anger and overcome evil with good. Again, I I warned you, obeying this commandment is going to take all of us holding hands, singing a little bit of kumbaya, praying without ceasing, because we're in a culture that has literally discipled us. If you're not angry, then you don't care. Look at verses 23 and 24. Here's where Jesus gives the explanation. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift. Like, drop it. And don't do this religious stuff. Remember, I'm not worried about the tree. I'm worried about the roots. Leave the gift before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. What Jesus is saying there 
If you have relational conflict with a Christian, pursue reconciliation. Jesus links it to religious activities to show it is a form of worship. How many people stopped even talking over COVID? Like, there's probably a hundred different applications you can think of in just your circle of relationships that you could say, I need to go respond to to obey the fifth commandment, the sixth commandment, sorry. Second, verses 25 and 26, Jesus says this, Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going to, with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to, to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. What is Jesus saying there in those two verses? If you have a legal conflict with a Christian, stop the pursuit, stop the lawsuit and pursue justice and peace. The essence is this. Don't hold a grudge, don't seek revenge, but pursue reconciliation and be a peacemaker. Whoa, you might be saying, hey, listen, the murder was a lot easier. I'm good at that. I'm 47 years in, just a couple. No, just kidding. Like, that's a lot easier. Can we just stop it at murder? That's easy, because most likely, maybe, hopefully, all of us, Check, we did that. The moment you get to don't hold a grudge, Lord have mercy. Don't seek revenge. Don't speak against a brother. Don't have broken relationships that need reconciliation. Who here can throw the first stone? If you want to see the diversity of the application that follows Jesus, look at the Heidelberg Catechism, and I give it to you in your notes there. The church has long tried to apply Jesus' interpretation to its life and ministry. Question 106 in the Heidelberg says, does this commandment refer only to murder? Here's what the answer is. By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder. And then it lists them, envy, hatred, anger, vindictiveness. Look at this last statement in the Heidelberg. In God's sight, all such are disguised forms of murder. What a great phrase. I.e., you forgot about the roots. Here's the second. Here's positive. If that's negative, what you're supposed to is forbidden. Those kind of responses, feelings, roots. Here's the positive. Heidelberg Catechism 107. Is it enough then that we do not murder our neighbor in any such way? Like they're still living. Can I hate their guts? A, the answer is no. I'm glad it gives more commentary than that. By condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Get ready, right? The, 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 these are gonna be really alien practices over the last two years. To love our neighbors as ourselves, to be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, friendly toward them, to protect them from harm as much as we can, and to do good even to our enemies. 
Now, you, you go ahead. Do, if, if you like cable news, and, and that, that, that may be you, I want you to put those descriptions, tape them to your flat screen TV, just in the top corner. And then you watch the news and you see how many of those traits every half an hour are going to be happening. You might find, similar to Rambo, that in a two-hour watching, you've seen 254 kills. But not actual murders, but just envy, anger, vindictiveness, and hate. Not peace. Not gentleness. Not patience. Are we just waiting for someone to fail? Not mercy. Not goodness to our enemies. Lord, have mercy. The last thing is we always want to not only see how these commandments reveal something about God's character, and they also show human sinfulness. And the biggest one for this one, I think, is don't just look at the leaves on the tree, look for the roots. It's not just murder, it's anger. But also how it points us to Christ. The sixth commandment shepherds us to see that Christ is the Lord of life. This commandment shepherds us to see that God, as our creator, has given human life a sacredness to which I must submit my actions and attitudes. Again, as I'll discuss in a minute when I give a few closing applications, I think Western American Christians have a lot of thinking to do here. We need to redefine what it means to be pro-life. That's more than a political thing. That's a Christian thing. This commandment also shepherds us to see that God as our Savior, like he's not just creator and he made life sacred, that Christ as our Savior not only has defeated death in his body, therefore giving us peace, but he will be the one to come again and to give true justice. So we can take all our anger at injustice. We can take all our enemies, all the things that we think God needs to respond to, we can put them at the feet of the cross. And we can know that our hearts don't have a root of enviness and bitterness. And we can know that when Jesus comes, he will judge the living and the dead. That's hard for us to do because we have been totally baptized by our culture in thinking that we have to be in power. And the moment we're trying to reach up and grab power, we just don't see that the roots are breaking through the foundation of the house and flooding us at the base. So what does obeying the sixth commandment look like? Three things as we close. Christians need to revitalize the sacredness of all and every human life. The church must catechize Christians on the application of the image of God for our decisions and actions. We need to be pro-life in every area of life and human existence from birth to death. And maybe ask the question, is Rambo First Blood Part 4, interesting title, is it pro-life? And if we expand pro-life or the Sixth Commandment to talk about 
envy, anger, vindictiveness, hate, revenge? Is cable news pro-life? Are the conversations I have with the guys at the shop pro-life? Is that blog post or is that Facebook thing that was forwarded to me that I repost, is, is that pro-life? Is that how I speak? Or is that just showing, hey, like my uncle's house, you better check the water in your basement because you might be flooding. Brothers and sisters, the topic of war, the issue of the last two years of COVID, even things like the death penalty need more than personal, political, or economic lenses. They need the Bible. It's about time that the church began to apply it. Second application, every disciple of Jesus should prepare to do battle with the root of murder. You just need to be ready for this. And the root of murder would be envy, hatred, and anger. It will be an overwhelming battle. If you're in a small group and you, you do sermon text-based and you discuss this text, maybe there should be some kind of conversation. How do we pray for each other over this? What do I need to confess to you regarding an issue I struggle with in envy, hatred, or anger? Pray for me. Let's pray for this together. Let's check the roots that are breaking through the foundation of our basements. Because Jesus wasn't joking. In fact, if you want to go back to that Matthew 5 passage, you can see a lot of judgment language, not just on, well, you didn't stab the guy, you're okay. No, a lot of judgment language on the roots. Many of us have an anger problem that if we're being honest, we have just become experts at masking. Heidelberg Catechism, I didn't give you that question 105, but it says something interesting. It even probes the symptoms of anger, envy, and hate. And the symptoms show themselves not in actual killing of somebody, but things like this, in our thoughts, in our words, or even our looks and gestures. Driving behind somebody yesterday with, what, three or four bumper stickers, and I could tell. I'm I, probably, maybe not a believer. How would I know? But there's a lot of anger in those bumper stickers. Again, feel the contrast when we were singing this morning. And it was about grace. The God of love. All the poor. All those who are weary. All those who are hurting gathered at the throne of grace. Come to the Father through Christ. Lord, lead us to live that way. That's what we're just saying. Now, turn off the cable news and write down what are the three applications they would give to you. Who's the bad guy you're supposed to hate? Or the corrupt thing you're supposed to be angry about? Or the vindictiveness you're waiting for the next election? Last thing and third, and this is maybe where the Spirit will need to apply these to each of us individually, but if, if, the, if the prohibition of the cis commandment is that we should battle the root of murder, envy, hatred, and anger, 
A third and final application of obeying the sixth commandment would be positive. The positive response to this command is to pursue reconciliation, to be peacemakers. I cannot imagine a time in my lifetime where we've been more divided, so I can only guess we have a lot of work to do. Oh, how much we need to seek to do this in this divided age. And it won't be out there where peace and reconciliation are happening, but it should be happening in here. Notice, by the way, Matthew 5, Jesus is only talking to the church. He just assumes that the, father, the children of the evil one will be filled with envy, hatred, and anger. But he assumes that the children of the God who loves to give good gifts to his children could actually battle that. So here are the phrases that should describe your relationships. And if you don't feel them in thought, if you act against them in word or in gesture, maybe that, with that person you need to reconcile and make peace. Here they are. Does that relationship show a love, a patience, a gentleness, a mercy, a friendliness, a protection, and goodness? If not, if any of those things aren't fulfilled in that relationship, then there might just be, brother or sister, some need for reconciliation. And that's not just on them. That's on you. Let's pray. Father, we hear this command and almost feel overwhelmed. Like my uncle who couldn't even see that the tree long cut down had growing roots that were slowly breaking through his foundation. Lord, help us to see the root of this commandment in our lives. Help us to, to magnify the sacredness of human life in word and in deed, in action and in thought. Father, where there is division and there is in need of reconciliation, help us to pursue it. Father, forgive us for being catechized more by culture and cable news and colleagues at work than by Christ regarding our hearts toward your image bearers. Forgive us for our sins and help us by your spirit to be so pro-life that's more than a political slogan. It's a way of existing. And not just even in the world, but even in the church. Because we know that any assault on those made in your image is assault against you. And today, through your sixth commandment, maybe even for the first time, we hear that. So help us check our roots, Father. Even this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.